Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I want to welcome you to a very special episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, as we have our first guest. This is Mr. Claude Ramsey from the Here I Stand Theology podcast. We're going to be having a candid conversation on the implications of the resurrection for our day-to-day lives. Mr. Claude, would you like to introduce yourself to um, the public? I will be glad to. I'm just a simple man. I am. Uh, my name is Claude Ramsey. I pastor at Reformata Baptist Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. We planted the church. Uh, it will be 14 years ago this May. I am the husband of one wife, married to April. Um, for 29, it'll be 29 years in July. We have a. We have one son. His name is Joseph. He is. He will be 28 in July, and. Um, Goodness. I mean, basically what I like to do is as soon as it gets warm weather, I like to mow my yard, my neighbor's yard, the churchyard. <laughs> I just like to be outside. <laughs> There's some kind of tranquility about the mower, isn't there? That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, we've we kind of have a running joke in our family that whenever somebody mows, God makes something clear. It's like we might be going to Africa <laughs> tomorrow. We don't know. <laughs> There's just something about the mower That's and right. that, that clarity there. <laughs> hey, we, we do some of our best thinking and praying on that mower. It's, it's funny. Amen. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the, the subject of what we're doing today is um, Easter. At the time we'll be releasing this, Easter will have already happened. And I hope you guys all had a great Easter weekend. But uh, the subject we're talking about is what does it mean that there's an empty tomb we're having a candid conversation on what that means for our lives how do we live out the truth of resurrection sunday on tuesday afternoon and this is something that god laid on me to devote some additional time to and he laid on my heart the name claude ramsey and so we started talking and here we are today so i those of you who uh, keep up with the bread of the word podcast it it can be very research driven sometimes you know sometimes i have a lot of quotes and dictionaries and i just kind of dive into where my personal studies are on a subject 
And so often I start with, what do we mean by words? Definitions are important, especially in this climate. What do we mean by these verbs and pronouns and everything? So I guess starting out broad and working our way inwards, how has the church in general and how has your church come to understand the holiday we call Easter? Okay, so I would say um, generally, generically speaking, the church at large has to a great degree come to view Easter kind of both simultaneously excited with excitement and joy and uh, at the same time it's almost like that joy is forced out of them just for this quote unquote time of the year and as far as reformata goes i, I mean our practice um is simply this that every sunday we celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ we have the privilege and the honor of gathering together on the Lord's day because, as the old song says, he arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Yes. I've heard it said at more than one church that I've been to that Easter is the Super Bowl of Sundays. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that kind of seems to be how we view it oftentimes, that it's like this now, one time a year that we get all hyped up and we put on the costumes and we bring out the, the, the recitations and some of this. And it almost becomes this this hollow tradition sometimes yes. on the one end that it becomes just something we do. And there's all these routines that we keep up with every year. Yep. And then on the other hand, um, it just becomes another day. You know, we, mm -hmm. we always go to church. We always sing these songs. So it almost dies out on that end so there's often there's a there's an equilibrium issue here yeah but yes we celebrate the resurrection every sunday we celebrate the resurrection every day because there is an empty tomb Amen. there is a risen savior and that makes all the difference i think it was tim keller that said we can endure the mysteries of tomorrow simply because there is an empty tomb Amen. and i Whenever I think about what that means that there's an empty tomb, I find myself always, without fail, going back to Romans 12, verse 1, which is one of my favorite passages. Um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to offer your bodies unto God, holy and pleasing as a living sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's an interesting phrase, living sacrifice. But the King James Version goes on to say that it is your reasonable service. And that's a phrase that virtually every translation does differently. That is something that we seem to have a difficulty translating. The CSB calls it your true worship. ESV says spiritual worship. The uh, King James calls it the reasonable service. That Almost like they're, this is what should be reasonable of our service to the king. And so I guess what makes this so reasonable, would you say? Well, I think bottom line, basic Bible doctrine 101, what makes it so reasonable? Because basically it's the least that we can do to live for Christ because he died for us. Not only did he die for us again, but since we're talking about the resurrection and the importance 
he rose again. That's the, that is the, the, the pinnacle. That is the hinge point of, of our faith that Christ arose from the dead. And uh, I mean, if, if you're okay with it too, I'd like to, uh, I think about when, when we particularly, you, you mentioned Romans 12, one, that's, you know, that's one of those verses that, that as, as young, young Christians really need to set to heart and to mind, I would say, uh, because that is so important because two, you know, of course, verse two follows verse one and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the, uh, the hard part a lot of times for us is how do we flesh that out? Would you agree? Yes. And how do we work that out? And really, again, the only way we can know how to do that is to go to the text. So, uh, first Peter, for example, first Peter, uh, chapter one, I had actually jotted this down because I wanted to mention it. If you're okay with it. Absolutely. Okay. Because the text is our, the, the text is what we stand on, right, brother? Absolutely. So, so, I mean, and if we read, uh, really, really it's the entire first chapter and I know it's a lot and, and I don't want to, you know, take up all of our time here, but the, the scripture we have to go to the scripture. So um, in verse three um, of first chap- Peter chapter one, uh, the apostle Peter writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, you know, Peter sets this up. I mean, here it is. It's it's Christ. And then he says, and this is this is the fleshing out part. This is why we have to, when we're challenged or troubled about one section of scripture, uh, on how to, you know, how it works out, that we always go to a, a more clear passage of scripture, which is what this first Peter passage is. Peter says in verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Sounds like Romans 12 too, right there. A little bit. (laughs) But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Means to be set apart, means to be sanctified. And that's what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice was set apart, sanctified, right? Deemed to be holy. And Peter said, if you call on him on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing, And we'll just read to 21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and that your hope are in God. That's a powerful set of verses right there. There there are so many things we could break down right there. But what jumps out at me right off the bat is that he starts with, the hope is in the resurrection mm-hmm. and then he fleshes out the cross and it, he ends on this this pinnacle of the glory of christ yes that he's glorified in that that death and that resurrection and that is what that's what shapes it that is what that is the skeleton of what we call easter yes. is that christ glorified himself by securing mm-hmm. for himself a people yes and he sealed that with his death with his blood but because he's God, he didn't stay dead. Amen. <laughs> and so there is an empty tomb making proof that all of this is manifest. This is not just a bunch of stories. There's an empty tomb. And the Amen. Romans executed a lot of people because there is an empty tomb. There are yes. some tens of thousands of soldiers put to death because they lost the body of Christ. Yeah. There's weight here. Yes, there is. And yes, we we have this reason in that service that this is this is just natural in our pursuit yeah. of God that we glorify God with our lives that we sacrifice to the sacrifice. Amen. And not just a it's it's not a dead sacrifice too. I think that's very important about the Romans passage. It's very very important that no sacrifice that God ever commanded pre-Christ was ever to be a, a a dead sacrifice. It was to be brought alive and placed upon the altar. Hmm. And not only was it brought meant to be alive when it was brought and be placed upon the altar, but it was to be pure and spotless. Yes, and I had actually made notes of that, that I looked into the Greek by what Paul means by living sacrifice, because sometimes when you get into the Greek, there are nuances that just don't carry in English, but that hmm. is as literal as it could possibly be, living sacrifice. That's right. That we sacrifice to the sacrifice, but it's a living sacrifice. There is there is life in this. That there's this almost like this dance between life and death. Mm. So what do you think it means to be a living sacrifice? Hmm. Big question, I know. (laughs) Yes, that's a then that's a wonderful question. As I mentioned, as I told you earlier in our messages, 
those are these are fantastic questions. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means yes. that we, number one, it means that we we have to recognize right what Christ did. Number two, I would say that we, after recognition of what Christ has done, that we willingly submit ourselves. Again, going back to the the importance of being a living sacrifice. Think back to the Old Testament with Isaac when he was taken Abraham or Abraham when he was taken Isaac to to the mountain. Right, the Lord said, "Sacrifice him." He obeyed the Lord. He went in Isaac, the living sacrifice, actually spoke to his father. And he said, Father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a lamb, a ram for the offering. And that's when he looked over in the thicket and he saw ram caught with the, with his thorns so i think that <clears throat> excuse me i think that you know recognition and then that willingly willing submission that's what it that's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice and number three if they're i don't know if you're always supposed to have a three i've still not learned that as old as i am <laughs> but at number three I think it's important that after recognizing and willingly submitting that we continually look to the word. Yes. To diagnose, am I, am I being an acceptable sacrifice? Again, back to the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 13. Um, let me look that up real quick. Or if you've got it, if you can get it quicker than me here, but Hebrews 13. 13 i've got it here okay and uh um oh maybe i'm wrong maybe it's 12 let's go back yeah hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 and 29 right therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom when it cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to god acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Again, recognize continually recognizing and looking to the scriptures. And if we even go back a couple of verses, um, whoever's writing Hebrews is saying, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you've come to Zion itself. That's that right. we, when we worship, we are in the presence of angels. And it's not symbolic of anything. We are, we are the temple. Amen. He dwells with his people. There, there is weight when, when the saints gather to worship, and that there is weight in this living sacrifice. Amen. I think often when we look at death language in the Bible, because while we notice a lot of the war language in like Ephesians 6 and passages like that, mm -hmm. there's also a lot of death language. There's talk about crosses and sacrifices and laying down your life for your brother or for the yes. lord and in 21st century we don't like this idea of, of death do that's we? right that's right um yale university did a study on um a child's development a couple of years ago and i found found this very interesting that they studied the way that we understand death death at different ages and we can grasp this idea of death as early as six months old yeah 
and the, all those stair step ages can actually coincide directly with a deeper understanding of death, it, of its finality, and its consequences. That simply put, death is ingrained in our, our minds. Yeah. And I think oftentimes when we read phrases like living sacrifice, we kind of bristle a bit because we don't like this idea of death, that our view of death often kind of gets in the way and we stumble it over a bit. So when we come to like John 21, which struck me between the eyes a couple weeks ago, <laughs> uh, one of the last uh, words of Christ that we have written down at the end of the Gospel of John and he's talking to Peter. This is right after he restores Peter, as we like to call it. And then he says, Amen, Amen. Truly, truly, I tell you. When you, were, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Yeah. How often do I ask the question of what kind of death I would die for the glory of God? Mm. When is that something I ponder? When is that something that is in my worldview? Is How does my death, when I die someday, whether that is tomorrow or 50 years from now, yeah. how will I glorify God in my death? I've got a lot of health problems. I've been in the hospital quite a bit in my childhood, so there's often been that that nagging fear that I will not go peacefully. Hmm. But even if I go with if if I don't go peacefully, how will I glorify God in my death? Amen. And after that phrase, then after Jesus makes this claim, he says, "Follow me." In light of that, follow me. And weeks after he says this, he ascends into heaven. Yeah. This is like his send-off almost. The next time we read the words of Christ, it seems, is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be mm -hmm. my witnesses. There is this, there is a direct connection between our view of death and being his witness. Amen. I've heard it said that God gives us the faith to live for him and the courage to die for him. <laughs> it's there yeah yeah how how can we not i love how you brought that to light there because that is that is one of the um quintessential uh ideas of the scripture that is often overstepped and outright ignored by most in a gospel proclamation right it's easy to come to christ when he's going to fix your life when he's going to be the best mm -hmm. thing that ever happened to you so on and so forth but it's a whole other thing <laughs> to say come and die come that and you die may live that you may live <laughs> as i was preparing for this episode i found myself looking for um, writers that were captivated with the beauty of God in certain mm -hmm. ways. And I found myself reading C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald. And I found this quote from George MacDonald that really just struck me this, as I was reading just today. And it says, Christ died to save us, not from suffering, but from ourselves, not from injustice, far less from injustice, 
but from being unjust. He died that we might live, but live as he lives. By dying as he died, who died to himself. And yes, it is a call to die. I've got a book on my shelf called A Call to Die. This is this is integral in here. We don't we like to separate life and death, but God mm-hmm. doesn't. He yeah. puts it all together when he says living sacrifice yes. that we die we live by to, for God by dying and we die for God by living. That's a, I think that's a that's a paradox that folks, most folks can't grasp, right? And well, I, let, let me let me qualify that statement. It's impossible to grasp that truth, that the paradox of that text of scripture, unless the Holy Spirit, right, opens our heart and our minds so that we can re- so that we can respond to that. That doesn't make sense in human reason. Mm-mm. Live by dying and die by living. <laughs> Oftentimes, the word of God is very paradoxical in light of human yeah. reason. It it doesn't make sense to us. Come and die. But but even again, going back to the continuity of the scripture, in that again, the Lord never never separated the two. What what do we see when He gives His uh, gives His ultimatum to the children of Israel? I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing right he always uses that i'm sorry were you, were you done yes sir okay i'm yes, sorry I... <laughs> he, he's always been painting this picture for us we just don't yeah. always give enough attention to it do we that he's always been beckoning, beckoning us to save our lives by dying. Mm-hmm. Um, Deuteronomy is a book that I refer to frequently, yeah. uh, both in my podcast and in just my own time with God. Um, that there's there's so much good stuff in Deuteronomy that we often pass over because it's the Old Testament. But it's like Moses is preparing the Israelites for a change of leadership and a change of scenery. That generation that wandered in the desert had passed on, and he's preparing the next generation of Jewish men to go into the promised land, into a land he will not go. And Deuteronomy, the Torah, ended with the death of Moses. Mm -hmm. But one of my favorite verses in Deuteronomy is chapter 4, verse 4. And he's just talked about what happened to some of the pagan nations, some of the Canaanites. And he says, but you that do cleave unto the Lord this day shall live amen that there is there is life and there is death in god and they they don't separate the two ever we do but the cross comes before the crown Mm -hmm. as c.s lewis once said and tomorrow is a monday morning a cleft has been opened in the pitiless walls of the world and we are invited by that gracious god to follow our great captain inside that he has Amen. called us to go where he himself went, even to death on a cross. Amen. We could spend days trying to wrap our minds around that and unpack that. That <laughs> our belief system is centered around the God that died yeah. and rose again. That's right. That doesn't make sense at all in human reason by itself. 
that we celebrate the death of Christ. Amen. But he's he didn't stay dead. That's right. There is there is an empty tomb, and there is so much packed in that. Man, that the tomb is empty, and we can live for God because He is alive. One of the big recurring themes in the Old Testament is as surely as the Lord lives. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that that's the and the, again, that's the key, right? Not, not as surely as so and so lived or so and so lived, but as surely as the Lord lives, present tense. When we speak of the Lord, we don't speak of him as uh, as a past tense God, right? People, when they talk about Buddha and Muhammad and the, the false gods, they say they were. But what do folks even unwittingly say? God is. Jesus is, <laughs> for the most part, because... We suppress they, the they truth. Go, yes, exactly. Exactly. That we all know that this God is the God, and he's not a has-been. He is. He is. His name is I Am. Amen. And that makes all the difference. The uh, The Westminster Larger Catechism, um, I was looking for stuff on on this idea of a living sacrifice, and question number 102, I think it is, tells us that our duty to God— the God that is, in short, is to love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, going back to Matthew 22. But by Christ's death and by his life, which is ongoing, he ever liveth now, all these things come under new management. That I've been given a new heart. I've been given a new mind mm -hmm. that m opens my thoughts to this paradoxical God who calls me to come and die that I might live. Yes, He gives me an, a renewed soul. He gives me strength to do things I didn't have the strength to do on my own. That's right. It's all under new management so that I can <laughs> do what is honoring to God. And that is a reasonable service. This is just natural. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if you've, if you've looked this up as well, but uh, going to another of the Solid catechisms, the Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Catechism, again, concerning the resurrection. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death. There it is again, life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. For he has paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And this was written in a time when, again, when not folks were not only just living for Christ, but they were dying for Christ. Back when the Fox's Book of Martyrs was being written, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Paul Washer, uh, Paul Washer, um, you know, I love to listen to him 
you know, but he's one of those preachers that, you know, it's your skin gets burnt off every time you listen, <laughs> to him, which is awesome. I love that. I, that's the kind of preaching I, that I, that I, I cherish that probably above a lot of the other kind, but his statement, he made a statement. He said, I hope that one day I will get to die for Christ. And then, and, and how, but I, I'll never forget that. It was years ago I heard him say that. But man, that is stuck in my mind and in my heart. And that that is that is my outlook. I hope that one day I get to die for Christ. Now, certainly, I don't hope it's a long drawn out. I don't want to have to physically suffer a lot. But if the Lord's merciful, you know, and he takes me quickly, hallelujah. But if not, guess what? Hallelujah, anyhow. We read in the Fox's Book of Martyrs about people that were burnt at the stake, and the only thing that kept them there was their own will, that they weren't tied to it or nothing. Because they were ready to glorify God in their deaths, as Peter did. Peter was crucified upside down, tradition says. Mm -hmm. And it is as if they knew, and it echoed Mm -hmm. in their hearts and in their minds, what the Apostle Paul told the Roman church i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service that had to be one of the chief the chief memory verses that they had had to be like that is a (laughs) beautiful sentence (laughs) if this had just been a letter you or I could have spent our entire lifetimes trying to come up with a sentence like that. And yeah. Paul just wrote it. Yeah. That just came out as he's writing this this letter. He's not <laughs> planning to write the New Testament. This is just him writing to the church. That's right. From that from the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's right. You can't beat <laughs> statements like that. I know. According to the mercies of God. Offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Um, You mentioned Paul Washer. Um, One of my favorites to listen to is Conrad and Bayway. Yes. Who is every bit as harsh sometimes as Paul Washer. (laughs) And uh, one of my favorite quotes from him is, uh, the sacrifice of God's son on the cross is the fireplace where we warm our cold hearts toward God. Amen. That hurts. That that is the <laughs> yeah. wallpaper on my phone. Like I need to read that every day. <laughs> Amen. This is what brings us into the kingdom. This is how God has drawn us to him. Yes. Is his death. That's right. The cross is the centerpiece of everything we say and do. Because Christ did not spare himself even from death. Amen. But he gave himself as a ransom. That's right. Four wretched sinners that he put a table before sinners and says, eat. Yeah. That's the backdrop of phrases like Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me. I don't deserve to be here. Amen. I don't. This is not where I should be. That's right. But this is, this is the mercy of God. And in light of the mercies of God, because Christ died for me, I can live for him. There's so much gravity in that. I almost can't put it into words, man. 
so in light of um the cross mm-hmm. and how that is the centerpiece um in regards to easter do, are we at risk of over romanticizing the cross do you think so can can you give me a little bit of context maybe uh uh expand on what you mean by romanticizing well i from churches i've been to i've seen ones on one side of the the aisle that um they kind of pass over the sufferings of christ and of his passion and they focus on it like it's a a love poem i've heard that Mm -hmm. phrase that the bible is a love letter and we focus on the the positive emotions Mm -hmm. affiliated with the cross and we actually for almost forget that christ died for those emotions but then you've got the other side of the aisle that focuses solely on the pain of the cross on that grit and it's almost like it's a horror movie you know, we watched The Passion of the Christ, and we kind of traumatized mm-hmm. kids with yeah. the crucifixion scene. So I guess, is there a balance between the beauty of Christ's sacrifice and of the grit of the the ugliness of his death? I, I think very much there is, uh, and I think it really comes down to uh, the theological term, the law and gospel being preached and proclaimed together and not separate. Um, as well, going back to the scripture itself in Galatians chapter 6, uh, and this is to the the uh, the balance right here. Galatians chapter 6 in verse 6 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes to the Galatian church, and he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast. Um, I grew up and and memorized most of my scriptures in the King James, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. But Paul goes on here and he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy uh, be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And and I wanted to read that because to that question, when, when the grit of the cross is all that's focused on, like you said, right? Uh, and then there's folks who don't even want to talk about that because they say, oh, that's offensive and that's ugly. Well, I can't help but 
go back to the scriptures again because the scripture says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness. Paul said in in First Corinthians chapter two, uh, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? That's what that's what he said there. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he goes on, you know, in that chapter there, and to remind folks that the wisdom of God is wiser than men. And the foolishness, uh, or yeah, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, right? <laughs> and so we have that, we have that imbalance that that uh, the church always has to be on i'm almost and i'll say it on guard against we have to discipline ourselves to maintain a balance when we proclaim the truth of the scriptures and there is a necessary balance because if all we preach is jesus christ and him crucified and we leave out the fact that he came to die for sinners it does no it does nobody any good we're looking at the cross with one eye shut that's right that's right and so the the beauty of the cross isn't the world doesn't see beauty in the cross the 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 the, the lost man doesn't see the beauty of the cross there's the there's the there's the irony that even lost people recognize the ugliness and the hideousness of the cross and when they're regenerated, they can recognize the beauty of the cross. But what the church's responsibility is to proclaim the balance, the totality, or as the, the Bible says, the whole counsel of God concerning man or concerning sinners, man and God. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's easy. Uh it is it, it is very very easy for um for us as believers to get just to use a plain term out of whack <laughs> <laughs> i think the cross is beautiful because it is ugly mm. and it's not they're not in competition here the hero died for the villain and that is beautiful but it's also hard to watch yes. you know crucifixion scenes whether you see it in a movie um, or if we could go back in time and see the real one, I was watching one of the Narnia movies, and they did a – there's a version of the crucifixion in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a lion. and it's, Yep, that's where they put Aslan the on the slab. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's still hard to watch, but you can't help but see the beauty in that. That C.S. Lewis made it clear that the lion is dying for the traitor. Yes. He violated the law of the land. Yes. But he dies on the table at in in substitute. Yes. And death itself was turned backwards. The hero died for the villain and death was dealt in reversal. That is that is incredible. And it is beautiful there because it is ugly. There is there is a duality here, and I can't think of any better example than Isaiah fifty three. He is pierced for our transgressions. That's a hard statement. Amen. He is pierced for my transgressions. In the Hebrew, transgression literally means my rebellion. 
Yes. My intentional turning away from a good and righteous God. And so he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. Yes. That's me. I, I turn away from him. Yeah. He was despised by me. And I, I didn't value him. That's right. Yet he himself bore our sins. And he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. And crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. And that word healed in the Hebrew, it doesn't translate English very well. And we think that's about a physical sickness. But it literally means we are restored. Yes. That we are restored to a as a nation. It's the healing the wounds of nations. Mm -hmm. That he has died to restore his people. Amen. That he chose before the foundations of the world. Amen. And there is there's so much beauty in that. Um, Hosea is a book I come to time and time again that the bride of Christ is Gomer. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's a perpetual gut punch that yeah. I rejected Christ. Yes. I was born and from that first breath rejected Christ. Yes. I lived in complete rebellion and transgression turning away from all that he is amen and yet god was gracious to pursue me every time gomer leaves the house for reasons we don't know she leaves and hosea goes out and he finds her and he brings her back and actually says that he buys her out of that life amen because that's what ransom means is purchase amen that god has purchased us and there is there's beauty in that and there is pain in that but it all comes together to give us a clear picture of who God is and what he has done for us, what he has Amen. done through Christ. It, it, it's a beautiful picture. It's Sometimes it doesn't fit well in our eyes, that tapestry that he's weaving. Yeah. But one day we'll, we will sit in, in front of the complete picture, and we will marvel at what God has been doing from beginning to end. Amen. That's not in my notes. That's the truth. That's, that's the, the truth. truth. The cross is beautiful because it is ugly. Amen. There's, there's beauty there. So my last question. In light of the mercies of God, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. In a chaotic present day, how do the mercies of God, how does the, the cross of Christ push us onwards all right so don't don't get mad at me but i'm just going to point us to scripture again (laughs) (laughs) i knew you would so second corinthians chapter five second corinthians chapter five verse 11 through 21 and this this is my response to that in the chaotic day how can the cross of christ push us onwards and here's how here's how therefore Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, 
so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There it is again, death and resurrection, death and life. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. The old is passing away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting, and here's just the message that you just preached, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So that is how in a chaotic present day, in a chaotic past or in the, in the chaotic future, this is how that we as Christians look to the cross and the cross compels us. Paul said, told the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. People say, well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, read the next verse. For it is God that works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. Praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the active obedience of Christ, for the passive obedience of Christ, for his literal death and for the literal three days that he spent in the grave and for his literal resurrection on the third day. And we could go further for his ascension. He ascended to the Father, and the Scripture says he ever lives to make intercession for us. How can the cross not compel us as Christians? Right? <laughs> We're about to have a party in here. That's... Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> we like to separate the atonement from our eschatology a lot of times, and we, we think Revelation is off by itself. But what I get from what you just said is the cross is our eschatology. Yes. We carry the cross. Amen. And one of the reasons we carry the cross yeah. is because we carry nothing. We have nothing to wager in this. That's right. We took take up our crosses because we have nothing. There's that ever so famous parable about the persistent man knocking at the door trying to wake his neighbor because he has nothing. Mm -hmm. And we often take that to think we just need to keep praying and keep asking for what we want <laughs> and God will give it. But the reason he's knocking is because I have nothing. Yes. My favorite hymn is Rock of Ages. Yes. And there's that one line, nothing 
in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I claim. Amen. I have nothing but the cross. Amen. But what Christ has done. In the, the pandemic, I've been up and down with uh, battles with depression and anxiety. And I'm actually coming out of a, a bout with anxiety right now. But uh, one book that really got a hold of me during that time that God used to minister to me was this big, thick book by Thomas Schreiner called Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ. And chapter four is about how the center of Paul's ministry was a suffering and i revisited this book um probably six months ago and this book's falling apart it just naturally opens (laughs) to that fourth chapter and on that page it opens to there's this beautiful statement that shriner says that god places his greatest treasure being the gospel in clay pots Mm -hmm. so that the glory is not in the messenger but in the message Amen. That God has been gracious and merciful to put his precious gospel in clay hands. I'm just the vessel. I, I just carry it. Amen. You want the cure for insecurity, right? That's it right there. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. God has given me the gospel. Both Amen. He's put it in me, and he's using me to send it out. Yeah. I and I carry that cross because I have nothing else. This is who I am. Amen. There is endless room for rebellion against ourselves, George MacDonald said, but there is an end to rebellion against God in Christ. Yeah. We're not fighting God in this. Amen. We're on the same team. He's sent us out as his his messengers, as his gospel messengers, as the, the Greek tells us. It's his gospel, which means good news. And in those that context, when a king won a battle, he would send out messengers for to pre to present the gospel, the good news that the king mm-hmm. has won the battle. Ultimately, that's what we are, is we're just telling people the king is coming. Amen. The king is coming. And <laughs> like Isaiah, make straight the way for he is coming. Oftentimes we're running across people that either don't know there's a king or don't care. Right. As such as some of us were. That's right. We were washed. And this is what propels us forth is the fact that we were washed and we can see other people washed. That the glory of God would be made seen, would be made manifest in their washing Amen. as it was in ours all that worldview changes everything amen <laughs> so we come back to this idea that we are living sacrifices that is what we are called to and what drives that is the mercies of god and what better way to do that than with a reminder of what the cross was amen Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. Um, there will be new content coming out every Sunday at 2 p.m. I'll put some links in the, the show notes for Mr. Claude Ramsey, who I'm very glad came on this the show with us today. 
God bless. Matthew 4.4. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That's something that I've written, that's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it, I'm not selling it, it is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture, and it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4. 4.